Hebrews chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, please uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 8. And then uh, please stand as I read the full chapter. We're really going through the full chapter of Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews 8 verse 1. Now the point in which we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy of a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to enact the tent, he instructed by God. He was instructed by God, saying, "See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain." But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better that there is an active on a better promise. Verse 7-4, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion uh, to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by their hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they do not con- uh, con- continue in with my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them because the Lord. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one, uh, they shall not teach each one his neighbor. And each one his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. Let's pray. Father, as your word says in Philippians, to rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. Let me rejoice because we know in the beginning of Philippians, Paul said that. Paul said that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Lord, that is our hope. All of us who have repented in, of our sin and trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are on a journey, on a journey to conform to the image of Christ. We have crossed over from death to life and we long for heaven. But we understand while here on earth there's still a battle that uh, is happening and being waged within us, in our own flesh, and also outside of us in the world. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone that comes in here, Lord, that may be struggling a little bit. Lord, I pray that you would give faith to those who are doubting. I pray that you would give hope to those who are in despair. I pray that you would give encouragement to those who are downcast. And I pray you would give joy to those who are dejected. Lord, all faith, hope, encouragement, and joy is found in you. So let us turn our minds and our hearts towards you and what you have done for us. There are no mountains for us to climb, no hoops for us to jump through to earn our salvation, no, just an invitation to be accepted. And so, Lord, I pray that everyone in here, as we walk out these doors, that we would know you 
as our Lord and Savior, that we would accept and receive the good news of the gospel by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Hebrews chapter 8. We're continuing our study through the book of Hebrews. And we're all familiar with the phrase, newer is better, right? Newer is better. Who agrees with that phrase? For about 95% of the time, I think, out there would say, like, yes, newer is better. Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, well, you guys are about to get a lesson in a second that newer is better, right? Um, now, we understand that there are some things where newer isn't better, right? Like a good age Keontae. Who can I get an amen from that? Yeah? Uh, newer is not necessarily better with all the films or most of the films coming out of Hollywood and TV shows today, right? That, that's just boo-boo what they're putting out, right? Except the new Spider-Man is pretty good. It's pretty legit, right? Because it's not, it's not trying to change our mind on some... Uh, never mind, I don't even want to get into that, all right? But for the most part, newer is better. I got a couple slides to show just how far we have come that newer is better. Here's one of the first cars that was made, one of the first cars. Who would like to take a road trip in that across the country, right? Here's what it looks like today. This is Mercedes-Benz, right? Who would rather try one of the Mercedes-Benz raise your hand, yeah? Newer is better, right? How about this? Indoor plumbing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was not that long ago where people were using that to go to the restroom as opposed to this right here, right? And I even put out that they used to even do public bathhouses. Where like that would be like all of us would go to one big bath and take a uh, a tub and take a bath together. Who would want to do that, right? No. Is newer better? Let's go ahead and raise your hand and see if newer is better now. Yeah, a little bit more, huh? And how about this last one? First call in 1973, right? Newer is better, right? The first computer actually took up like the size of your living room, and now we have it in the palm of our hands. Newer is better. And I believe that phrase also applies to the Christian faith. That newer is better, especially when it comes to talking about the covenant. And the priests and the priests who are mediating the covenant, right? The new covenant is better than the old covenant. Can I get an amen on that one? Can I get a raise of hand on that one? Everyone. Absolutely. And the high priest of the new covenant, Jesus, is far greater, far superior than those who mediated the Old Covenant, the Levitical priesthood. Uh, let me just sum up the New Covenant and why it is better in just four quick little points. One, the Old Covenant was a covenant of works. The New Covenant is a covenant of grace. The Old Covenant was a shadow or a copy of heavenly things. The New Covenant is the substance or reality of heavenly things. The Old Covenant was uh, of annual sacrifices for sin. The new covenant has only one sacrifice for sin that will cover us for eternity. The old, the old covenant is old. It's obsolete. It's vanishing away. And Corinthians it says it's the, it's the covenant of death where the new covenant brings us salvation, joy, and eternal life. Newer is better, is it not? And so let's continue to look at Jesus as our high priest of the new covenant this morning in Hebrews chapter 8. And again, just embrace and proclaim and rejoice that newer is better. Rejoice that we live under the covenant of grace and not under the covenant of works and law. First we see newer is better. Jesus is a better priest, Hebrews 8, 1 through 7. Now last week Rich opened us up and, and got us back into Hebrews and he talked about Hebrews 7. And um, 
this mysterious king figure known as Melchizedek, and how he points us to Christ as our priest and king. And you can summarize uh, Hebrews 7 as this, as the surpassing position or nature of Christ, priesthood in the order of Melchizedek over the Lydicable priesthood. Uh, It's focused on who was Jesus? Who was he? What was his nature? He was was both priest and he was king. And this week, as we look at Hebrews 8, we can summarize it as the surpassing practice of Christ's priesthood in the New Covenant over the practice of the Levitical priesthood of the Old Covenant. We're going to look at what Jesus did and what he accomplished for us as our high priest in the New Covenant. And now, I, I love how the author starts out in Hebrews 8.1, because he's actually, this is actually a, 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 an argument that he's been arguing that Jesus is a better high priest all the way back at the, uh, the end of chapter 4, and this argument actually going to go all the way through chapter 10. We're going to look through this argument for the next couple weeks as well. But in Hebrews 8.1, he kind of summarizes this whole argument that Jesus is a better high priest. Look at Hebrews 8.1. It says this, now, the point in what we are saying is this. Sometimes the Bible can be tough to study and understand. Like, man, what is, what is Paul trying to say? Even Peter says, man, some of the things that, well, we're not sure if this is Paul. So, in other words, that's that. All right. The author, sometimes it can be tough for us to say, like, what is, what is Paul? What is Peter? What are, what are the writers that are trying to get a point across? What are they trying to say? It's hard for us to understand. Here, it's not so hard. Here, the author of Hebrews says, now the point in what we are saying is this. Here's the point. Here's the point of chapters 4 through 10. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord has set up and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this high priest, Jesus, also to have something to offer. So here's the point of these chapters right here, that we have a greater high priest who mediates a greater covenant. And when you hear, when you hear that Jesus, um, uh, and here's the point, again, of the greater high priest. Uh, the question is, well, how do we know he's greater? Because it says he is sitting down. Jesus sat down. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty. How do we know Jesus is there? Because he is sitting next to the Lord, the God of Father, the right hand in heaven. He is sitting down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. And when you hear that, that phrase that Jesus is sitting down, that should jog your memory and take you all the way back to Hebrews chapter 1. So turn your Bible quickly to Hebrews chapter 1 and look at verse 3. This is the first sermon I preached in Hebrews chapter 1. There are seven reasons why Jesus is better. And here's one of the seven reasons why, as Hebrews 1, 3 says, After making purifications for sin, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that, that Jesus uh, keeps on making purifications for sin. No, it's after making purifications for sin. It is done. It is in the past tense. Um, Jesus doesn't keep on making purifications of sin. Sin has been paid for in full by Jesus once and for all. No longer is there anything to be done by Jesus to make purifications of sin. Uh, his life, his death, 
His resurrection has accomplished redemption for us. Atonement for sin has been accomplished. The, the sacrifice of Jesus to God the Father has been fully received. It is sufficient. So when we see that Jesus is sitting down, when we hear that phrase, Jesus is sitting down, we should immediately couple that with, and redemption has been complete. Salvation is complete. Salvation is secure in Christ. And that's a stark contrast to the old covenant sacrificial system and the priests. They had to work day in and day out, year in and year out. Excuse me, my head's right here. Year in and year out, they had to make sacrifices. And you notice in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the tabernacle of the temple, there were no seats because the priests never sat down. They were never finished offering, offering these sacrifices to the Lord. Hundreds of thousands of animals had to be sacrificed. They never finished. Sin was never fully atoned for in the This is why the new covenant is better. This is why Jesus is a better high priest because his sacrifice it was finished, and he got to sit down at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 8, 3 and, and 10, 11 kind of say the same thing. I'm going to read Hebrews 10, 11. It says this, And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Verse 12, But, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. That is a better promise. That is a better truth. That is a better offering. Jesus offered his own life. That was his gift. That was his offering. His life for our life. He, he, he took on our sin and we received his Jesus offered his life and took away the sin of the world for all those who believe. And that is better news and greater news for us today. And also, just quickly, just remind us, like, think how crazy it is that, that people still try and earn their salvation and favor with the Lord by doing something good. Jesus had to take on the wrath of God for everyone's sin on the cross and give up his life. And we say, well, I'll find favor if I just stop cussing, right? Did you see how silly that is? No, Jesus gave his life. He is the ultimate sacrifice. And now he sits down. Redemption for you and me and the new covenant has been secured by Jesus, and that is a better promise, and that is greater news. But notice, Jesus is not done ministering. But though, though he's done dealing with sin, sin has been dealt with, redemption has been secured. He's not done ministering. He's still ministering right now for you and me. Verse 2 says, he is a minister in the holy place. He is interceding for you and for me right now. For those who have been purified by his life, death, and resurrection. Now, I want us to, to think and pause and think on this a little bit because I don't think we focus on this enough. When we, when we say, hey, what is, what, what is Jesus doing or what has Jesus done for you? We, 
we probably about 90% of the time we think of his life, his death, and his resurrection. We think of Jesus as our Savior, right? And rightly so. That's massive. And rightly so. But also, he is ministering for us right now. Like, right now. Like, he's in heaven right now, ministering, interceding on your behalf right now. He is active, ministering for you. So, let's try to balance out the scales when we think about Jesus this week. Yes, do we think of him as our Lord and Savior? Do we think of him as the one who died on the cross for our sins? Absolutely, that he rose again. But we tend to think of him again in his, in his past, and what he's done for us in the past. Let's think of Jesus and what he's doing for us now in the present. In the present. That he is presently ministering to us. You see, he took care of our greatest needs soon, but he's also taking care of our greatest needs right now. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If Jesus has taken care of the greater obstacle for our relationship with the Lord, that is our sin, how much more, now that he's done that, will he give us and take care of all the needs of things we need now for life and God? We know it was from the past. Romans 8, 42 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also now with him graciously give us all things. Listen, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God right now. And He is ministering. He is interceding on your behalf. Why is that so important? Because it's in the throne room of heaven. It's at the right hand of God where God the Father is dictating the course of the world and not only the course of the world but your life. In my life. There Jesus is interceding. The fate of the whole world of your life and my life is being determined right now, and we have Jesus Christ actively interceding for us at the right hand of God the Father. That's an incredible thought. I don't know about you, but that brings me peace and security this morning. I know. We have some people that are walking on green pastures. Things are going great. We have some people that are walking in the valley. But what you need to know is that you have a great high priest, Jesus, who is interceding for you right now on behalf, on your behalf. Jesus is not on the bench, but he's in the game, actively ministering for you and for me. That's what Hebrews 8.1. Therefore, Jesus is a better high priest because he is sitting down with the truth that your sin and my sin have been dealt with. We remember it no more. We have been redeemed. We are no longer sinners. We are now saints. And he is now ministering on your behalf and on my behalf with power at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is better. Now in verses 3 through 7, we can really nerd out and get into the weeds. So let me just kind of point out some contrast that the author is making, uh, and later on you can go back and, 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 and go through and study these verses, because they are rich, so we would we could spend two or three sermons on here. But here we have the contrast of the shadow of the Old Covenant Temple with the substance, the reality of the New Covenant Temple. We see the shadow as a copy. It points us to the substance or the reality of the temple in heaven. 
uh, the Old Covenant temple was, was here on earth. It was physically here on earth. Uh, the substance of the temple of the New Covenant is in heaven. Moses instructed, set up the earthly tabernacle, was set up by men. Uh, the, the substance is the Lord sets up the holy temple. Every high priest uh, was a shadow. They had multiple high priests. Generation after generation, the New uh, Covenant temple only had one high priest. This high priest is Jesus. But the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant had promises, but the New Covenant had better promises. The, uh, the shadow, the Old Covenant had false Definitely have to look for and look toward another with a new covenant. The substance was perfect and there's no need for another. So in a nutshell, the old covenant, the old covenant temple was a shadow that was pointed us to the new covenant. The greater, more excellent covenant and temple. And its mediator Jesus. And the promise of the new covenant was that we need uh, that was attained by Jesus, who is and has a more excellent ministry. As a, as a priest than the old. Verse 4 says that Jesus could not be a priest on earth. And the reason why he couldn't be a priest on earth is because he wasn't from the tribe of Levi, which is the, the, the priest of Aaron, the Levitical priest. So he was from the tribe of Judah, which is the king of Aaron. But in heaven, he is both king and priest because he is a new temple. Jesus is better because he is the king of priests in the heavenly temple. Again, there's much more we can say about that, but just to whet your appetite, I give you those contrasts. Now, you go and study those truths together. Take us to our second point here. Newer is better. Here are the implications of Jesus as a better priest for us in the New Covenant. Hebrews 6, uh, Hebrews 8, 6 through 13. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent, in other words, better, and then the old, as the covenant, he mediates in heaven. Something's enacted on better promises. You want to circle that word, those two words right there. It is enacted on better promises. For the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll cut off right there. So quickly, we're talking about we're talking about old covenant, we're talking about new covenant. Let's just be a reminder of what a covenant is. A covenant is a, a relational agreement between two parties. And, and, and in these relational agreements, they come together, these two parties, and they, they create or make these stipulations. They say, hey, you do this, and I'll do that, and I'll do this, and you do that. And if you keep it, if you do your part and I do my part, then there will be joy, there will be blessing, and there will be unity. We'll all get along. But if you break the stipulations, if they're not met, if you do not keep your word, if they are broken, then there's going to be justice and judgment. And that's what we see right here. The covenant, and when we talk about the old covenant that we're highlighting here in Hebrews chapter 8, is the, is the Mosaic covenant. It's the Mosaic covenant. And we see in verse 7, uh, verse 7 tells us that the Mosaic covenant had flaws. It had flaws. And then it tells us why. Because if it were perfect, then we wouldn't need a second covenant. So what was the flaw? Verse 8. For he, God, finds fault with them, Israel, because they didn't keep their part of the covenant. What was the flaw of the old covenant? Was that the people of Israel were unfaithful. They were constantly disobedient. They constantly broke the stipulations of the covenant between God and themselves. And here what we see now starting in verse 8, 
He also quotes Jeremiah 31 through 31 through 34. And this is the longest quote of the Old Testament in the New Testament. And the reason why it's the longest quote of the Old Testament in the New Testament because it's all about the promise of the New Covenant that has become and take over and supersede the Old Covenant. A better covenant is coming. Uh, we know that the context here, Jeremiah, he's writing about 900 to 1,000 years after Israel and Moses made their covenant with the Lord at Mount Sinai. And as you know, Jeremiah is, is written right before the nation of Israel gets overtaken uh, by Babylon again because they were breaking the covenant. They, they broke the stipulations of the covenant, so therefore the Lord says, all right, here comes the judgment. The judgment is this new nation is going to come and overtake you, and you are going to be in captivity for the next 70 years. But this is one of the first time that Israel broke the covenant. Ever since Moses and the covenant was made at Mount Sinai, all the way back in Exodus 19, we know that that didn't last very long because in Exodus 32, what happened? They made the golden calf. They bowed down and broke the covenant. Ever since then, there's been a diving downward spiral of Israel breaking the covenant over and over and over again. To the point where, where even, even God didn't let Moses in. That whole generation passed away. Then he, when Joshua took over and led them into the promised land, he made the, renewed the covenant with them again. And guess what happened? They broke it again and again and again, generation after generation, until they get to Jeremiah, and they're still breaking the covenant. We see in Hebrews 8 9, the author of Jeremiah gives the reason again, the reason why they're about to go into a judgment. For they did not continue in my covenant. So I showed no concern for them because So you see again, the reason why they were fault with this covenant is because the people kept on breaking it, not God. And yet, we see God's love and steadfast mercy. We see his patience with his people. Because he doesn't start over with a whole new people group. He still works through the nation of Israel. And he says, I will establish a new covenant with you. He could have easily cast them off and say, hey, look, you've broken enough, enough. I'm going to go after a different people group and set up a new covenant. But he did. He shows his grace. He shows his mercy. He shows his steadfast love to the nation of Israel. He still shows them by showing his new and better covenant with them. He shows them their love. Hebrews 8 says this, I will establish a new covenant with Israel. Hebrews 8, 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord. And what he does in, in, in quoting Jeremiah 31 in, in verse 10 through 12, we see that he highlights three better promises. Remember, had you circled those better promises, the new covenant has better promises. Well, here he gives us three better promises right off the bat about why the new covenant is better than the old. First, regeneration of every new covenant believer takes place. An internal transformation of God righteous commandments and his laws on our hearts and on our minds. Verse 10b, it says, I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. You see, back in the Mosaic Covenant, where did God write his law? First it was on the, the tablets of stone, right? The Ten Commandments. And then later on they transformed and came on the parchment and paper. But in the New Covenant, God writes it on everyone heart and mind. But not only that, it's more than just letting people know what the law is on their hearts and minds. It's more than that. 
It, it's then giving them the ability and the power through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of every believer, of every believer to carry out and obey the law and the commands of God. And here's where Ezekiel 36, 22 through 32 also comes in hand and gives us more detail on this great promise of the new covenant that's going to come. He says this in Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is talking about regeneration. And verse 27 says this, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The new covenant is better because every believer has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. God's law has been written on their minds and on their hearts, and now they have the ability of the Spirit to lead God and direct them to fulfill disobedience. You and I have the Holy Spirit teaching and guiding and empowering us on a daily basis. He dwells us, He guides us, and directs us. Old Covenant believers did not have this. They did not have this advantage. A lot of us watch, maybe, maybe a lot of us, some of us watch those cooking shows on TV, right? And you know that they're in this competition, and, and typically they have a competition before the competition. And those who win the competition before the competition get what? An advantage, right? Well, it's the same way here in the, in the New Covenant. The New Covenant, we get an advantage because every single believer gets the Holy Spirit. It's like we're in that cooking competition, and our sous chef is Gordon Ramsay, right? That is our advantage, without the language, right? Without the language. He is our advantage. That's what he is. In the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit did not indwell every single believer. In fact, it was only on certain believers that the Holy Spirit, for a season in time, dwelt with individuals. You can think about when we're thinking about the Exodus when they were creating the temple. He, he came upon the foreman of the one who was directing the temple when he left. Israel. He was on King Saul, Israel's first king. And then Saul, Saul sinned and he removed his spirit and then he put him on David. But in the New Covenant, every single believer gets the Holy Spirit to lead God and direct us. It is a better promise. When we come in, the will of God is inscribed in our hearts. And then He provides us with the Spirit's power to, to fulfill it. Now, this raises a question. The question is well, if I got God's law and on my heart and my mind, and I got God's Spirit to lead, guide, and direct me and empower me to carry out that, why do I still sin? Why do I still battle sin? Why, why is there still a struggle with sin? If I have God's law, if I my mind or my heart, but I've got sure that's leading God and directing me. Why do I still sin? Because for many of us in here, we still battle sin, right? In fact, I should probably say that a little bit differently. Not many of us, all of us. All of us in here still battle sin. Even though positionally we are saints, practically we are saints who still sin, right? No one on the face of the earth has arrived to perfection or glorification. Not Moses, not David, not Mary, not the Apostle Paul, not you or not me. There's still this, this battle with sin. Some sins we, we whip immediately when we come to, to saving faith. Some sins aren't 
on a, on an issue for us anymore. I know when I was first came to the love of the Lord, I was an athlete. I played a lot. Um, I had a temper. If I failed, I would let things profanity would come out of my mouth. I'd go down the, the dugout. I would beat up the, the water jug. The water jug. It was his fault that I struck out. It was my fault. But I would still just go take out my anger and frustration on the water jug. So when I came to know the Lord, that was immediately taken away from me. He immediately changed my speech. He immediately changed the way I responded in anger. But there are other things that I'm still battling, battling with 30 years later. Some of us still battle sins monthly. The same sins monthly. Maybe for years. Maybe even for decades. Right? To show that you and I are not alone in this battle with sin. Please raise your hand if you're aware of this battle in your own life. Now, for those of you that didn't raise your hand, God will deal with your pride later on. We all battle with sin. I heard something very encouraging regarding this, this topic. And, you know, I've been a Christian now for 30 plus years, and I'm still learning. And, and, and still learning these truths in different ways, and this was really, really helpful for me. And hopefully this, this, this was helpful for you. Uh, this commentator said this, If I could compare sin to a lynch, there may be some limp that you take with you all the way to the border of heaven. You never love the limp. You, you never grow comfortable with the limp. But you understand that you don't doubt God's work in your life just because you are limping. If you are limping towards heaven. Isn't that good? Do we fight? Do we battle sin? Yes. Yes. It, it, that's, what it, that's what it means by not loving the limp. We don't love the limp. We fight the limp. We want to we fix the limp. We want to go to the limp for PT, physical therapy, to get rid of the limp. You, you are limping towards heaven. There's a, there's a goal. There's a desire. We know the limp isn't honoring. We, we want to fight. With repentance and confession of sin, the word and prayer, accountability, community, making decisions to abstain. Absolutely, we fight. But ultimately, our sanctification process, your sanctification becoming more like Christ, and my sanctification becoming more like Christ, is not solely based on you and me and our efforts. And sometimes I think we, we think about that. I think we say, yeah, justification is all about Jesus and Him saving us. We're redeemed. But in the sanctification process, that's all for us. It's all about us and our, and our ability. And sanctification is, yes, it's about us and us fighting. We are commanded to fight and obey. Amen. Yes and amen. But it's synergistic. There's two working. God is also working in our sanctification process. And ultimately, our sanctification process and growth in holiness is, get this, is dependent on God, first and foremost. He is the one working in your life to become more and more like Him. It is His timetable that we are on in this sanctification process. Our growth in holiness is on His timetable, not ours. 
Philippians 1, 6, He who began a good work in you will complete it. When he will complete it? In his good timing. Philippians 2, 12, Work out your salvation. Notice what it says. Now, it's, you're already saved. You're working your salvation out. You're not working for it. You're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there's a part that we pray in. We fight. We, we study. We pray. We, we confess sin. Or, it is God who is at work in you. To what? Both to will and to work for His good God is the one working in our lives. He is the one that is, is leading us to the grace of heaven and to the sanctification process. And again, this is what newcomer is a better promise. Even though we still battle with sin, we are progressively becoming more and more like Him on our journey. And we do that because He has regenerated us. He has given us His Word. has written on our heart and our mind. He's given us His Spirit. Second, another better promise, is that we have a personal relationship with God, even more intimate than those in the old. Look at Hebrews 8.10 again. He said, I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now this, this statement is given both in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. It's given in the Old Testament as well as the New Covenant. But again, everyone in the new covenant has intimate access to the new covenant. But they didn't have that in the old covenant. We read back in Hebrews chapter 4 that because we have such a great high priest, we can approach the throne room with God. How? With confidence. We can approach God in his throne room with confidence. We can draw near to the throne room of grace because of Jesus, our great high priest, and what he has accomplished. In the Old Covenant, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. That's where God's presence was once a year to offer up sacrifices. That's where the presence of the Lord is. Once a year, that's where the high priest could go. But here, in the New Covenant, we can approach God in His own minute by minute, day by day, month by month, year by year, from here on out. You guys remember, when we went through the book of Exodus, when, when, when the people went to Mount Sinai, and, and, and God's presence was there on Mount Sinai. Remember, there was uh, lightning, there was flashing, there was smoke, there was thunder. And, and the people of God were like, they were freaking out. They were a little bit afraid. They're like, Moses, you're our leader, you're the guy. You, you go talk to Jesus, you go talk to the Lord for us, right? Uh, they didn't want to go up and, and have been the presence of the Lord. They, they sent Moses up. Not so in the New Testament. And we saw that. I will be their God, they shall be my people. In Exodus 33, we see that Moses had a very special relationship with the Lord. One of my favorite verses in Exodus 33, 11, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses. You guys remember that verse? Do you remember how the Lord spoke to Moses? It said, face to face as a friend. That's intimacy. Moses had it, but not all the other people of Israel had it. But in the New Covenant, because of Jesus, we all, every single one of us, from the least to the greatest, have instant access to the throne room of God. We have that intimate, personal relationship with the Lord. Everyone in here has that. The question is, do you access that? Are you in intimate relationship with the Lord? One of the best ways we can do that, in fact, I believe is the greatest way that God's given us the greatest gift is that of prayer. That is the greatest gift that God has given us to interact with the Lord, that we get to talk to the Lord on a daily basis. 
But sadly, there's a stat of survey taken many years ago that surveyed about 17,000 Christians, and it said that the average time that they spent in prayer was less than five minutes a day. And I bet if we did that with this group, I think hopefully we'd be a little bit better. But maybe not so much. Yeah, we have this access to the We don't want to be like Jacob when he was wandering in the desert and, and, and the Lord was in his face. He said, man, surely the Lord is in his face and I did not know. No, the Lord will be our guy. We, we can't be huge people. We have this intimacy. We have this access to the throne room of heaven, to God himself. So let's be about prayer. Let's look at 2022 and be a, a people of prayer. Now, I'm not going to put on any kind of, uh, any kind of uh, you know, hey, you've got to pray 40 minutes a day or 40 minutes every morning or 40 minutes at lunch or 40 minutes at time. That's not my, you just need to pray. Devote yourself to prayer, Scripture says. Pray continuously. You and I have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to the throne room of God where He is orchestrating His will for the world and because of Jesus this is a greater promise because we have greater intimacy than those in the old covenant. And third, finally, the totality of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. We don't need to go every year to Jerusalem to the temple to present our offerings to our sins that only cover us for that year. Look at Hebrews 8:11. And they shall not teach. Each one his neighbor, and each one his better saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, verse 12, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. There is nothing greater than that last verse right there. Did you know that there's some things that God cannot do? God cannot lie. God cannot do evil towards you. And God cannot remember your sins. Because in true authority of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. He cannot remember. And I remember the sins no more. When he sees you, he sees you as holy. He sees you as blameless. He sees you as pure. Ultimately, and praise the Lord, we live under a new and better covenant, the new covenant. I have two final pictures. One, the, the cover of works, the altar of sacrifice. We can get that set up. Every year, this is what we'd have to go. We'd have to all travel to Jerusalem. We have to bring our animals. You see the priests are, are working. Notice there's no seats. They're always standing. Notice that, that below the altar there's, there's red. That's just blood. Notice that they're burning the animal in their sacrifices. But we have a better promise, a better high priest, a better covenant, which is this, the cross. Christ, what he has done for us, his life, his death, his resurrection. Again, I open, newer is better. When it comes to the covenant of God, his relationship towards us, the new covenant is far superior than the old covenant. The high priest is far better than the Levitical priesthood. And the promises that the new covenant makes for you and for me are far better than the old. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Hebrews chapter 8.
Well, thank you for this this whole section, chapter in chapter four, the the next couple of chapters. We're going to look at nine and ten, talking about how much better the new covenant is, and how much better is the mediator of that new covenant, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that the the words that we heard this morning would fall afresh in our hearts and our minds, and that when we walk out of these buildings, that we that we receive. We, we, we hear these promises. We receive them and that we would experience them. That we would preach the gospel. That we would preach these great promises that are better for us than those of old. And we've been regenerated by you. By your spirit you have given us. That we could, that we could be led and guided and directed to, to obey you. Uh, to, to, uh, on a path that leads to abundance and joy in life. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances. We know that sometimes the, for the Lord to get us to, from one green pasture to another, He has to take us down through the valley. But He's going to take us out of the valley and take us to that green pasture. And uh, the promise is that we have an intimate relationship with You. Personally, that we have access to the throne room of heaven. The throne of grace where You are sitting and orchestrating the world. And we have a mediator, Jesus, who, who has and is interceding for us as we pray in and finally, just for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord, I pray that no one walks out these doors with the weight of guilt and shame on their mind, on their souls, and on their hearts. That they would know without a shadow of a doubt that they have repented of their sins and trusted in you, that they have been purified, even though they still may bow, that they understand that they are traditionally a saint and practically a saint who still keeps sitting, but that you are in control and moving us more and more towards Christ. And one day, we'll say no more means than all the new covenant believers into the throne in the heaven. We will be glorified. The sin will be no more, no pain, no sorrow, no hurt. Just rejoicing forever and evermore. In Jesus' name we pray.